Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. And Gabe. And uh, to real two really quick emails. Hi, Gabe and Connor. Hi, whoever this is, wrote this. this. Hold on, this is from Louise. Or okay. Louisa? I've been enjoying listening to Science Unscripted for a few years now. Keep up the good work, guys. And thanks for all the interesting broadcasts. Awesome. Thank you. Somebody yeah, who's been you. listening to us for years and now finally... <laughs> finally writes in. Writes. Amazing. And then, of course, there's here from Robert. Outed. Well, the truth is out there. Gabe has hair all over the place and does a mean cow imitation. Now we can rest easy. Cheers. <laughs> as, as if that's information that the world uh, needed to know. <laughs> Although your cow imitation is very, very good. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who missed our last episode, maybe a quick one. Mm-hmm. Very, very... Mm-hmm. High fidelity to yeah. the original cow sound. Uh, um, yeah, study on changing cows... For a future and a warmer planet. Um, we're going to begin with some science or yeah, medical science related to us human beings. This okay. Time. A positive development and it's with regard to dementia, specifically Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. And getting at the problem of how do you diagnose it? So if you think that, for example, if I'm asking myself, do I have Alzheimer's or mm-hmm. am I getting it? Um, it's harder to get a, a, a true positive yes than you might think, or at least to I was Parkinson's aware of it. Parkinson's specifically, or to all three of those that you mentioned? Dementia? Uh, dementia is like the umbrella category for Parkinson's and... Other neurodegenerative... Alzheimer's, correct. Okay. okay. Correct, correct. And if you want to actually figure out whether or not you have that, let's say you have some of the symptoms, general mental decline, I can't re- remember things, mm-hmm. or communication issues. Yeah, yeah it's really important. Yeah. Sleeping. Um, one way to do it, and this is pretty logical, is to look directly at the brain with imaging techniques. Could be an MRI, could be... FMRI, yeah. Uh, I, you can do it in a number of ways. Yeah. But the what they would be looking for is brain shrinkage, the size of the brain shrinking over time or having already shrunk compared to the base, to the standard. And that would be an indication that you are developing some sort of neurodegenerative disease. Maybe we're not sure which one it is yet. Mm-hmm. And that's actually something that would happen before the symptoms even appear. If you had your brain scanned and it was shrinking, it might be a sign before anything else happens outwardly that this is developing. Mm -hmm. If you really want to prove whether it's one or the other or what exactly it is, you need cerebrospinal fluid, which is a fancy way of saying you need a spinal tap, a lumbar a lumbar puncture. You need that to be analyzed. To be analyzed. So what okay. that that involves, right? It, yeah. You bend, you lean forward, and they insert a needle between your vertebrae. A long one, right? And they, yeah, and they they take out this clear liquid. And the reason they go for that liquid, right? You've got a lot of different liquids in your body. Is that that's the one that goes up and ends up reaching the surface of your brain, and would collect or or accumulate some of these nasty proteins that are connected with diseases like Alzheimer's. Okay. So you could take that fluid, take a look at it, and say. Hey, that looks like a, an amyloid beta, you know, or, or there's too much amyloid beta protein or peptides in there. Same thing with tau. And hence, you have Alzheimer's. There. And that's the way it is right now. The only way it's to a, analyze correct. this is with a spinal tap. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chemical, uh, uh, say, a chemical test. Okay. And so what researchers at the University of California, San Diego have done, they're like, this is really intrusive, difficult, painful. Who wants, mm-hmm. nobody wants to go for that. Let's, let's do this better. And they have a handheld device in the testing phase right now. They've tested it. It seems to work where instead of looking for uh, molecules in that same way, it uses electricity. And it's extremely complex to explain how this works. And um, the way I envision it, I think the easiest way to understand this is it's more like if you have, let's say, a river of fluid going around, and you use this kind of electric test, it'd be like having a magnet in that river. 
And if the magnet has metal attaching to it, that would be the nasty, the nasty uh, peptides that mm-hmm. are associated with this disease. They would start sticking to that metal magnet, and the flow of the river would slow down. Got it. And that's the electric current, uh, the the change in the current that they would see, and they sure. would say, okay, and 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 it's only that specific. Um, How exact is it? Do you... I don't. It, it's as sensitive as the procedures, as the other procedures spinal they tap. do with the spinal tap. Okay. And so that's already a win. Uh, what they're going to test in the future is whether or not they can do this with fluids like blood or saliva even, and possibly urine to see if it's that sensitive, if they can test it that way. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, we're looking at a, a, a diagnostically a much better future where doctors might go to a retirement facility yeah. and say, look, could you just give us a quick s- uh, saliva sample yeah. and where you can diagnose it that way. The weird... No, the easier it is, the the more likely it is that those tests are going to be done. They're going to be conducted. Of course. People will, won't, won't mind them, and they're they're just easier to, to do. Right, and the tests can come to you much more easily. And, yeah. and w- the weird result or consequence will be that numbers will go up, and everyone will think, what's happening? What's yeah. in our environment now that's uh, causing so much more Alzheimer's? No, mm-hmm. it's the, the diagnostic kit is getting better. One big caveat, um, some of the people behind this new handheld device stand to make a decent amount of money no, that's, on it. So that's, always that mind, so, that's always the case. I know from, from, from a personal perspective, the easier it is to test my blood sugar, the more likely it is I'm going to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the diabetes companies are making gazillions of dollars on that, <laughs> but they're making my life and, and the lives of type 1 diabetics and anyone else who needs to test their blood sugar way, way better. So. Right. And final thing I'll say on this one is that if you can test more easily and cheaply, then you can also test earlier before mm. some of the symptoms appear. Yeah, of course. And based on the drugs that are coming, you might be able to treat in the very near future um, some of the symptoms of these diseases before they even crop up, mm-hmm. before those plaques build up or the neurons get all junked up. So yeah. that's, that's a good thing all around. Just a little bit of news here. I'm going to read this out. Um, maybe you've heard about this or read about it online. Sickle cell can now be treated with... Uh, CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing. For the first time ever, a therapy that uses the gene editing technique CRISPR has been approved. In the UK, regulators gave the green light to treat two inherited blood disorders, among them sickle cell disease, by modifying blood stem cells in the lab and then returning them to the body. Sickle cell disease happens when a defect arises in hemoglobin that can cause severe pain, strokes, and organ damage. The CRISPR treatment is designed to replace the damaged hemoglobin with a working version that is normally active in a developing fetus. In clinical trials, 28 out of 29 participants began making functioning hemoglobin after the treatment and reported no subsequent pain episodes. The FDA in the United States is set to follow suit, concluding last month that the benefits far outweighed the risks in the case of sickle cell disease. So gene editing is now a thing. And uh, j- just a reminder of what sickle cell disease does to you. Are you... Yeah, but put simplistically, it, it, it's a defect in the, in the red blood cells. And because of the shape, if you have this damage in the protein in the hemoglobin, it prevents... Bl- or it, it, it means that bl- the blood doesn't flow as well yeah. for, for them. Ah, I love good medical news. Yeah. Really good that, medical that, news. That one, and, and like I said, in the, in the U.S., they're about to improve, approve it. It's, this is coming. Gene editing is now a thing. It's here. So on to some softer science, uh, or the kind of science that isn't necessarily going to save lives, but might change opinions. Um, this study is connected to something I've heard a lot here in Germany and nowhere else. And this is the line, Gabe, you might have heard it too. 
Um, do men and or do women get more attractive as they age? Do they get how, how quickly do what, they get less attractive? What is this a survey? Who did they ask? So what they did is well, they asked three hundred people. Okay, and they took what they did was they took twenty people uh, headshots effectively. Yeah, and they aged those headshots. And at first, that kind of confused me. Like, well, you could have taken headshots of people who are actually older, but this way, you truly establish with take the same person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you seen these? They, you showed me a picture of yourself yeah, as look, an eighty-year-old man. Yeah, I just uh, here's another one that uh, my wife took of me recently, and it'll artificially age you. There I am at age. I don't know what. What do you think that looks like? Eighty-two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really old. There, confronted. You're with, all wrinkled up. You're. You still have hair, though. That's a good thing. Well, it means the app probably isn't very good at predicting <laughs> what, what my hairline is going to do in the future. No, it's, it, you're, you're really confronted with your own mortality when you look at that kind of stuff. They did the same thing with the 20 faces, and they had 300 people rate them for attractiveness and um, femininity or masculinity. I'm going to kind of forget that second category for now because mm-hmm. it just wasn't as important. Yeah. The conclusion, at the age of 40, women start... Uh, Every, from, from, from every decade or for every decade from there on out, they lose 10 percentage points or 10 points of, of attractiveness. Women get uglier over time. Well, everyone, Is that what you're trying to say? Every, everyone or does. Or less attractive? Every, everyone does. But oh, everyone does. Yes, okay. but specifically women starting at age 40, yeah. between age 40 and 50, they're going to lose 10%. Yeah. Between 50 and 60, another 10. Between 60 and 70, another Got it. So Got they're, it. They're, it's dropping. Men, it is different um, according to this... Georgetown study from so the, we get a less less States. attractive but less less attractive. Yeah, that's a, one way of <laughs> making it really easy to understand. No, so we the drop off for men also happens starts at age fifty. Okay, and it's about five percentage points per decade. Okay, uh, so you could make the argument it's less women. It, it begins earlier and it's the the decline is steeper. It's later for men and the decline is softer. You could say, well, how much of that is just cultural? Right, we have. I don't. I don't know. Um, some sort of sexist biases toward women. They're judged more harshly for their for their appearance always. So this fits into that pattern. The authors of the study view it more in terms of evolutionary biology. That the face. Numerous studies have shown that the face is strongly facial attractiveness is strongly associated with reproductive health. Mm-hmm. The ability to 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 bear children or to have children to create children, and that that is what's probably, the older one gets the less likely that one can reproduce. In this case, that uh, the, or, le- the less likely, in, in a woman's case, that she could carry a nine-month pregnancy to term healthily and that it. the child would be healthy. And that on some sort of evolutionary biological level, that's what we're um, uh, punishing them for in terms of attractiveness. That mm-hmm. attractiveness is, is, a, is attached to less fertility. Well, I mean, it's less sense. of a punishment. It's just a, it's a natural feeling, Len. If it's evolutionary, you have no control over it. Right. Right. Another, like, more, one of the concrete aspects is also specifically the, the jawline. This is where they were looking at where, how... Yeah, the 82-year-old version of you, you had a horrible jaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... Uh, really our, scraggly the, and the male, uh, the misshapen. Bio- yeah, the biological male um, jawbone grows at about the same rate in men all mm-hmm. the way through. And with women, there is a change, and the jawline becomes more masculine. Yeah. Um, in, in, for both, for men and women, the jaw becomes more masculine. That also may play into it. Somewhere I was thinking, there's a joke to be made about it being a, a mandible. It becomes more of a more of a oh. manly, masculine-looking thing over time. Yeah. Or a jo- a less jo- jowl joyable. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> going nowhere. Jowls. That's going nowhere. I, I, mean, I tried. That was a good try. So if you want to read more about this or are interested in the subject, the study is called Understanding the Impact of Aging on Attractiveness Using a Machine Learning Model of Facial Reg- facial Age Progression, excuse me, and it's in facial plastic surgery and aesthetic medicine. One little bit here before we go. Eye contact. We're making it right now, Gabe. Well, we do it a lot, I yeah. would say. Well, speaking compared of, to the participants in this study. Well, we're in Germany. I, another German kind of German stare. Will you let me get to the science here? Yeah. When two human beings speak to one another, mutual eye contact is extremely rare, according to a study out of Canada. Researchers at McGill University and the University of Quebec outfitted participants who did not know each other with eye-tracking glasses while they discussed an imaginary survival situation. While they ranked items they would need to survive, the researchers analyzed where the participants were looking. In particular, how often they looked at each other's eye and mouth regions. In total, 12% of the time was spent looking at each other's faces. Mutual eye contact, when participants looked each other directly in the eyes, simultaneously. Stop looking at me like that. I'm I'm trying to make eye contact. I want to beat the 12% number. Mutual eye contact, when participants looked each other directly in the eyes simultaneously, only happened 3.5% of the time. No way. 3.5% of the time. Out of every 30 seconds, one second? One second out of 30. spent looking at it. Is that math? Okay. The researchers found that when mutual eye contact was made, participants were were most likely to follow each other's gaze afterwards, a phenomenon known as subsequent gaze following that is important for social dynamics it's more like so it's good it's a good yeah. thing to look each other in the eyes of what we're doing right now we are locked right now i'm locked and loaded gabe i am I'm i can't stop looking into your hanging eyes. on every single word you say although it's kind of di- but when, when people do this then you follow whatever the person you're looking at whatever they're looking at and that leads to better conversation better social dynamics so, yeah. so let, the next study would be me, how to... Let yeah. me, let me, yeah, let, hold, hold that thought. Let me correct myself right now. Mm-hmm. It's more like one out of every 20 seconds. Every 20 seconds we spent or in this study. One second out of 20. Roughly would be something like... So the whole time when you're speaking with another person, if this, if this study is correct... Well, I, that's the thing. I have an so issue. Where are you it. looking? You're looking I, off into space? Or? I, I think there's a follow-up study that has to be done where you're not imagining a survival scenario because when I do that, I am looking all over the place trying to... You have to visualize creatively new things and whereas, when you're when you're doing that you're not looking at someone's eyes correct whereas i think if the conversation topic is what is your favorite color gabe then i'm going to be more you know what i mean i'm going to be more inclined to look right at you and you're answering i don't know i think do you really want to know my favorite color not really but go ahead green yeah, yeah that's the color your sweater you're wearing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I, no it's a good point so different kinds of conversations lend to different yeah or 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 make eye direct eye contact mutual eye contact more likely yes probably i, I would think so i think you because could, if you're you looking at someone 3.5 percent of the time while they're telling while they're opening their heart to you that yeah. you wouldn't be a good conversationalist looking at a tree <laughs> a bird in a tree no one thing that germans uh, said to me years ago when yeah. i first moved here yeah and i'm talking 15 years ago now was that they have a tough time with America. They're talking about Americans because I'm American and how they never make eye contact. And I just thought, well, whatever. It's, that's mm. how we are and it's not a big deal. I've been here long enough now and I've gotten so familiar with the extended long eye contact that it now I have reverse culture shock going back because it is strange to be interlocuting with someone who's looking everywhere but you. So what do you do when, you, when you've got someone with a, a squirrelish-esque uh, gaze behavior? What do you try and like? 
put my head in front you of their get, eyes. Get in front of their eyes. I yeah. do. I do this. Hey, <laughs> hey, over here, bud. Right here. No. Um, but, I, but, I understand the, it because the moral I of the story is that we don't do it very much, and it's good for social dynamics. Yeah. So try to do it more often. Yeah. One thing I've heard. Uh, I, and I don't have anything to back this up, is that if you want to practice it, because it is something that requires practice, hmm. that when you're talking to a, a young child or even a baby, that it's a perfect time to practice. There's no social consequence. You're not harming anyone. You can just get familiar with looking how many, someone... Wait, hold on. How many babies have you stared at? I talk to all sorts of babies all day. <laughs> no, I don't know. It, it, it's an idea. Because it's hard. What's, how do you get over it? How do you, it's a big hurdle if you're not used to it. Maybe next time you're speaking to someone, just pay attention to how often you make or how long you make direct mutual eye contact for. And, uh, and how it makes you feel. Yeah. Did it help the social dynamics? Let us know at suadw.com.